Proverbs uh, chapter 3, the passage that uh, Paul just read, if you uh, have it still open, kind of keep your, your finger there. And we're going to be drilling in and looking uh, primarily at verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Or the NIV says, make your paths straight. Now, those two verses are among the most beloved verses in Scripture. Many of us as little kids in Sunday school memorized those verses. In any, risk, any uh, listing of the top Bible passages in Scripture, these two verses would rank towards the top. Probably some of you even have these verses on a poster or a plaque or, or something, on a wall hanging in your office or your home to remind you of the great truth that God uh, is trustworthy and that he'll guide us. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a, a, a world-famous preacher from another generation, said that when he was leaving home for the first time to go out on his own, his father pressed a note into his hand. And when he unfolded the note, he discovered it contained one verse of Scripture. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Looking back years later, Morgan said that that was the only thing on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the note. No text, no comments, just that verse. No comment, he said, except for the comment of his father's godly life a man who had lived out that verse and trusted in God. Now, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, is pretty striking in its simplicity. There's nothing really difficult about it to understand. A, a, a young child in Sunday school can understand it, and yet it's, it's a comfort to, to a, a, the oldest of saints. It's good for all Christians in between the youngest and the oldest. It's, it's been the hope and encouragement of countless multitudes of God's people across the centuries. Its words cling to the soul because they speak to a great need that we all feel, that all human beings have at some level. After all, there's no question greater than this, the need for guidance. What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? Who does he want me to marry? What is God's will for my life? You know, I don't know as a pastor, uh, any Christian that I've talked to at some length, who has not at some point brought up this topic, wrestling with what does God want me to do now? Or, or should I have done this? Was this God's will? Or what does he want me to do in the future? The words of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 speak to the great need that we all feel for God's guidance and, and an understanding of what his will is for our lives. For example, we might say, I wonder if I should get married. And if I should get married, should I marry Molly, Mabel, Melba, or Marlene? Would you like the, like the alliteration there? Or, or I've been offered a new job. Should I take it or should I wait for a second better offer? I've been accepted at two colleges. Which one should I attend? Should I go back to school for my master? Should I try out for cheerleader? What courses should I take next semester? So on and so forth. Lord, what do you want me to do? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 suggest the basis on which guidance will come. is sort of a, a cliff's notes or a short course on knowing God's will for your life. And if we learn what this passage really is teaching and begin to apply it in our daily lives, it will make a profound difference when we inevitably come up against those huge decisions, those life-altering decisions that we all make at some point in our lives. Now I'm going to begin this this message with the assumption that most of us have known these verses uh, for a very long time. We've heard them, we've we've sung them in in, in songs sometimes, we know them. And when we know a passage so well, sometimes we almost know it too well, if you know what I mean. We know it so much that we have never really stopped to think about what his words are really saying. 
So today, as we look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're going we're to study these verses and, and look at five key words that I believe un- help us to unlock the message of the text to a, a deeper level of understanding. And, and we're to take those words one by one and see what they teach us. The first word is, is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In the Hebrew, trust means to lean with the full body, to, to lay upon to lay prostrate and put your whole weight down upon something, like a, a bed or, or a hard surface. In, in our thinking, trust, uh, even in the, in, the, in the Christian circles, it means to rely upon or to have confidence in. And, and often it has to do more with, with our thinking, a mental assent or belief. But the Hebrew word is, is even more than that. It's stronger than that. It's, it's the idea of, of stretching yourself out completely and not with no, no safety net, lying upon something and trusting your full weight upon it. And so it begins with trust the Lord in that weight. Put everything upon Him. Put your all in and trust your whole life and weight and, and world upon the Lord. The second word is lean. Lean not to your own understanding. It means to rest upon something for partial support. Leaning is what we do when... We use a walker or a cane or some crutches. In the Old Testament, it's, it's used often for leaning against a tree or, or uh, some sort of structure or a stone cliff or something like that. You lean on something when you're not strong enough to stand alone. The third word is understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. That word has to do, of course, with our, our mental processes, our faculties. It refers to uh, the process by which we will maybe analyze a problem, we'll break it down into smaller parts, and then we come up with a solution and decide what we're going to do. It's what we do at work often. You, you come into the work we, uh, office at the beginning of the week, and you come up with a list of priorities and projects that you want to work on, and you, and you lay it out, you plan it out. Uh, that's understanding. It's, it's, it's using our God-given ability to reason and to, and to, uh, to make decisions. So when you take the word lean... And you put it with the word understanding and you add the negative not. Lean not on your own understanding. We get an idea like this. Use all your mental powers, all your God-given abilities to, to make decisions and to process and to plan, but do not lean on them for total and ultimate and complete support. In other words, don't trust in your own ability to figure out your life. Lean instead on on the Lord. Rest your weight on Him. Don't be self-reliant. Be God-reliant. Be, be Christ-reliant. The fourth word is acknowledge. And I'm going to stop and say a little bit more about this word because I, I think uh, acknowledge doesn't do full justice to the original text. In the Hebrew, the word is, a, is an imperative. It's a command. And it's the imperative uh, form of the word to know. In other words, you could translate it by saying in all your ways, know God, know Him. Know intimately, know, know deeply. It's a kind of knowing that comes through personal experience. It, it's, it's kind of the idea that we, that we express when we say, I, I know that person or I know that area like the back of my hand. Know God. For instance, somebody might say, do you know the President of the United States? And I would say, sure, I know the President of the United States. And what I meant by that would be, well, when he walked in the room, I would know who he was. I would know that man. Or I'd hear his voice on TV and say, I know who he is. Or I'd see his picture on the paper and I'd say, I know that man. I know that's the President of the United States. But I really don't know him. I can't pick up the phone and, and call the White House and say, hey, Barack, this is Doug. Let's do lunch today. 
he will not take my call. I guarantee you because I don't know him personally. I just know him at the level of, of head knowledge, but I don't know him personally, intimately, on a friendship level. There's another uh, angle of, of knowing that's in, in, uh, implied here. Uh, for example, I know my wife, and, and she knows me. We've known each other for over 22 years. And, and after being together for that long, as any married couple can attest, strange things begin to happen, right? You'll be sitting there thinking about a song. It's running through your head, and all of a sudden she starts humming it. How did that happen? Or she'll be thinking about uh, a person that we haven't seen in years, and, and I'll bring them up. How does that happen? There's a, there's a level of knowing and an experience with each other that, that over time we, we know each other at such a deep level that she knows sometimes what I'm going to say before I say it, or what I'm thinking before I think it, or what I'm going to do before I do it. Because there's a deep, personal, intimate knowledge of each other. Seen in that light, we might translate verse 5 this way. In all your ways, know God intimately, deeply, personally, in every area of your life. Because when we know God in that way, then he will direct our paths. The fifth word is direct. He will make your paths direct. Or in the NIV, he will make your paths straight. Make your paths straight. And it implies before God was involved, that our paths are crooked, doesn't it? It has the idea of a road which appears to be impassable, a road that winds through the mountains and goes into the swamps and has thousands of switchbacks, and there's potholes and huge boulders, and in some areas the, the road seems to end in dead end. And it's sort of a metaphor and a picture for our life, isn't it? Poets and, and songwriters uh, use it all the time. The image of, of a metaphor for our life is, is the road, a long and winding road, and there's twists and there's turns and, and all sorts of obstacles. And, and some of us this, this, this past week have been through a lot of bumps in the road. Maybe in the past uh, year or a few months, there's been potholes and boulders and, and seemingly dead ends and, and tough times and swamps. And, and, and it just doesn't seem to be a way through. It's not very straight, not very, uh, not very, um, not very straight. And so we come to a place where we wonder, what's God doing here? And God's message to us from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is that if we know God in every other life, no, He won't always remove the obstacles, and no, He won't always remove those speed bumps and, and make things, but what He will do is he'll, he'll, he'll straighten out our lives, He'll straighten out our walk with Him, He'll straighten out our heart, our character, and we'll begin to know and do his will, no matter the circumstances, no matter where we are in, in that road of life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, is a fantastic message to us to know God's will, but sometimes we skip it. For instance, we get up in the morning and we say, God, help me, I'm busy. Here's my list of things, I need your help. And we rush out the door, God, please bless me in my day-to-day. -day. And what we're essentially saying is, here's my schedule, rubber stamp it with your blessing. And then we wonder why our days are frustrated at times. Or another way that we miss it sometimes is we can go through life leaning almost completely on our own understanding. Uh, a lot of us sometimes are basically control freaks. Sometimes I fit in that category. I want to know what's going on. I like to be in charge of my own destiny. This passage is a warning to all of us who have that tendency, who sometimes say, here, God, 
you stamp my plan with your blessing because I'm going to go out and do it for you. And God says, no, we don't work that way. You know me first. Put me first in everything, including your plans and your thinking and your scheming. Put me first, and then I will direct your path. The secret of knowing the will of God is not a formula. It's about faith. It's about a faith relationship. It's not about religion, a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship with God, where we know God deeply and intimately. And out of that relationship, we know what He wants us to do, when to do it, how to do it. And in the times when we don't, we trust Him enough to let Him direct in His time and in His way. But we get hung up. Should I go there? Should I live here? Should I marry that person? Should I have this job? Important questions, but not the most important question. The teaching of this passage can be stated in one sentence. God is much less concerned about where you're going and what you do than with the type of person that you are, than the type of person that you're becoming. So when we say, Lord, should I move here or there? Those are important questions, but they're not the most important question. The question, the primary question, should not be where am I going, but what kind of person am I going to be when I get there? God says, know me, trust me, and I will make your path straight. I'll take care of the details. We'll start with a personal relationship with me. Vernon Grounds, a professor and author from Denver Seminary, wrote that most of our decisions will not matter in 10,000 years. It's kind of a liberating way to look at it, isn't it? Next time you face a tough decision, will it really matter in 10,000 years? And 99% of the stuff that we worry about, even this week, will not matter probably three weeks from now, much less in the year 12,012. In all your ways, God says, trust in me and I will direct your path. Because many of the decisions that we worry about and spend hours fussing about in the 10,000 years will simply not be remembered. God wants to know us uh, on every day of the week, not just Sunday mornings. He wants us to trust in Him and walk in His ways. He wants us to say, Lord, here are my hands. Use them to do Your will this week. Here are my eyes. Help me to see You at work and help me to see needs around me. Here are my ears. Help me to listen to You hear Your voice. Here are my feet. Direct them and guide them into places you would have me go and be. Here are my lips. Speak through me to somebody today. Knowing God means putting yourself and the stuff of our lives in God's hands and knowing Him so well that we recognize and hear His voice. That we'll be able to be guided and directed during the moments of our life, whether they're huge decisions or whether they're their everyday, average, ordinary decisions the simple and profound opportunities that God gives us every single day to to be used of Him, to be in the center of His will, to be a part of something wonderful. But we will miss those unless we begin with a, a, a knowledge, a deep, intimate knowledge of Him and His love for us. An example of a man who, who did know God well and did hear God in a, in a very simple, ordinary situation is a man named Henry Nowen. He was a a priest and a, and a brilliant teacher at places like Harvard and Yale, an author, a scholar, a theologian. 
But he spent the last decade of his life living in a community with severely challenged people, mental and physical and emotional disabilities, a place called Larch, which is in Canada. He, his, his, his academic friends did not understand his decision to move there, but he felt, he felt very strongly guided by God. This is the path he wants me to take. And so he moved there and immersed himself in that, in that uh, community and just lived with them. And over time, it became enormous healing to him. And then through his experiences there, he wrote many books and spoke all over the place and blessed lots of people in what he said and what he wrote. Well, there was one time a guy in his community that he had connected with named Trevor, a man who had severe um, mental and emotional challenges. And, and Trevor was sent away to a psychiatric hospital uh, a, a good distance away for some evaluation. And Henry wanted to visit him, so he called the hospital to arrange a visit. And when the authorities found out that the Henry Nowen was going to be coming to their hospital, they asked him, could we have lunch with you and in the golden room, whatever that was, it sounds like the, the, the golden room, and invite doctors and clergy and PhDs in the area to, to, to listen to you and to meet you? And he said, okay. And so he showed up and they took him to the lunch room in, in the golden room. And, but Trevor was not there. And after all, Trevor was the reason he had came in the first place. And he said, where's Trevor? And they said, Trevor cannot come to lunch. Patients and staff are not allowed to eat together. Plus, no patient has ever had lunch in the golden room. Now, by nature, Henry Nowen was, a, was not a confrontational guy, very meek, very mild. But he knew God well. And, and at that moment, he, he felt God speaking to him. And the thought popped into his mind, Trevor should be here. Include Trevor. Trevor. Community is about inclusion. And so he said something like this. The whole purpose of my coming was to have lunch with Trevor. If he's not allowed to attend, I will not be here either. And so a way, of course, was found for Trevor to come to lunch. And then he writes about his experience at the lunch. People wanted to be next to the famous Henry Nowen, so they would jostle around him, but of course, Trevor was ignored. And people wanted to sit next to him at lunch, and, and they wanted to ask questions and be able to tell somebody later in the week, hey, I had lunch with Henry Nowen. And all that was going on, and, and Nowen was talking to a man on his right, and, but he didn't notice that Trevor had stood to his feet, come to his, his was standing, and he, he had a glass of Coca-Cola, and he raised it high in the air and said, a toast, I will now offer a toast. And everybody in the room got really nervous, all these, these well-educated kind of uptight people, and, and there's just Trevor, this deeply challenged my, a man in a room full of PhDs and doctors, and, and Trevor's standing there with his Coke in the air, and he begins to sing. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. If you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it, if you're happy and you know it. And nobody was quite sure what to do. Kind of an awkward silence was in the room. Tension, you could cut it with a knife. They began to think about, you know, Henry now is a great man. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? And, and, and that Trevor's there and he's beaming and he's singing. He's so thrilled to be there, so excited. And so slowly but softly they begin to sing too. And then louder and louder until the doctors and the PhDs and the clergymen and Henry now are almost shouting, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. After lunch, Nowen went on to speak. But the moment everybody remembered, the moment God spoke most clearly to that room and touched lives and hearts with a memory that, they would, that would last for a, a lifetime, was through the person they all would have said was the least likely person to speak for God. 
God spoke through Trevor, but he would not have at that moment if Henry Nouwen had not known God so well that he listened and did what God urged him to do at that moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I think that's for the big decisions of life, but more importantly, I think it's for the everyday decisions that we have. To listen to God's spirit, to do what he wants us to do, to be the, be the people he wants us to be, to take, take risk, to make sacrifices. Trust in the Lord because God still speaks today. And the Spirit will still guide us today. God will still direct our paths. He'll make our paths straight. The world still gets changed. People still get blessed. God will do it. But it begins with trusting in the Lord. With all our heart, resting everything on Him, trusting everything on Him, all in, all our weight, leaning not on our understanding, but knowing God so deeply and so intimately, so personally, that we'll hear him when he asks us to go. And that we'll trust him when he makes our path straight. That he will make our path straight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word of truth. And we thank you that you are a God who didn't just create this world and drop your word into the world and leave a book of instructions behind and send your son and then draw him back into heaven and, and leave us on our own. God, you are a God who who is personal, who is real, who wants to guide us, who wants to make our paths straight. Father, I pray that we um, would get out of our own ways sometimes. Uh, we often do that just to help us to get out of our own way and, and to trust in you, to use our abilities and, 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 and skills and thinking and all those things, but not to rely upon them ultimately. Uh, to know that the key to knowing your will begins with knowing you deeply and personally to trust in you completely father we thank you uh, for the ways you guide us and i pray that we would increasingly whether it's uh, a decision to be made about our health our future our job our family a uh, uh, marriage lord give us wisdom maybe wisdom from you Help us to trust you completely and to believe and know that you will guide us to make our paths straight. We thank you, Father, for your love and for your word. We thank you that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.